I recently read that in 2021, one out of every five VC dollars flowed into a fintech startup. Thankfully, fintechs includes more than recent crypto startups. Uh, in episode 23, we were visited by a vice president from Simcor. That's a fintech company established in 71. Today, we are visited by Lisa Schreiber, chief customer officer of Blackline, a successful and growing fintech company established in 2001. And we will be discussing the role of the chief customer officer. I am Thomas Law, the executive director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. So let's get this insight engine humming. Uh, Lisa, welcome to Tectonic. And first of all, I see that you went to the University of Pittsburgh. I was born in Pittsburgh. And is there any chance you are a, a Steelers fan? Because that, that's worth bonus points on this podcast. I don't know what you're going to do with those bonus points, but that's worth bonus points. Yes. Yes, I am a Steelers fan. Um, you can't come from that part of the, that neck of the woods, so to speak, um, and not. It's possible, but most of us are, aren't we? Yeah. Fantastic. yeah I think when you're, when you, you're born and raised there, it is hard not to be a Steelers fan. I was just doing doing a, um, a, a session with Nick Meta over at uh, CEO of Gainsight, and he had all this Steelers paraphernalia behind him. And I said, what, Steelers fan? He goes, oh, yeah, I was born and raised there. So, yeah, bleeding heart yes, Steelers fan. Big time, big time. Well, um, so, so let's get into our topic today. And you are the chief customer officer at Blackline. And we've interviewed other CCOs on this podcast. And I always like to start by asking about the scope of the role. What are your responsibilities at Blackline? So I have, and my team has, pretty much everything post-sale, except for renewals, where we're very close to the renewals team. So support, training, customer success, transformation, customer experience, and professional services that also include, with one of our acquisitions, some managed services now. Okay. And, and you said that the renewals, that's part of sales. Is there, are there renewal specialists within the sales organization? Yes, there are. Um, but of course, we work very closely with them. You know, our job is to help build a base of easy to renew customers. So um, we're tied at the hip with them. Yeah, I always like to clarify that one. I just did a um, episode here with the chief customer officer from Ring Central, and we were talking about the same thing. And in every CCO I talk to, it is a coin toss where renewals lives, right? Is it is it just owned by the sales rep? Is it a separate renewals team that is in sales? Is it a renewals team in customer success? Is it the CSM? We see all those models. So I just always like to clarify. And I mean, there's no one dominant model right now in the industry, that's for sure. Right. It, the pendulum swings at different, at different points, depending on the market challenges you face. And right now, we would like the renewals team and the sales team to be more closely aligned. And so that's why they're over there right now. Yep, totally understand. I don't expect it to stay there forever. I don't. <laughs> it, it's fluid. It's definitely a fluid conversation in the industry right now, for sure. So I want to actually start with um, career path, uh, because you started your career at a large financial institution. Obviously, you're you know, within a fintech company now, and you were implementing technology. So, so how did that experience shape the way you think now that you are on the other side of the you know the table providing uh, technology? Yeah, there's there's a couple interesting points here. I did start at a fin, at a, a large bank, um, and I learned how to implement technology at scale. 
we were facing problems that not every vendor could deal with. So you had to pick the right vendors, work with them closely, and get the technology to scale. Through that, I learned valuable lessons on how to be a customer and how to work with those companies and how to make that technology effective. But I also took the opportunity to change jobs so that I had a variety of roles on the customer side that I could then take to the vendor side. So for example, I've run data centers. Like who does that, right? But at the time, it was, it, it was an exciting chance to do something different. I've led application teams. I've led technology teams, support. I used to run wholesale operations for a large bank. So this broad experience, and it's funny, then it all came together. I understand the customer because I was the customer. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm on the other side and we're providing some of those services to our customers, we run those data centers in a SaaS environment, Right. We have to help our customers understand that. I find that it's easy for me to have those conversations almost with any customer because I've run those Mm -hmm. kind of on their behalf in the past. And I know the conversations that they have when we're not around, when we, the vendor, are not in the office. You know, what's the CEO saying? What's the CIO saying? What's the pressure the team is under? And we need to think differently about how we respond so that the customer is better informed. Um, you know, I have a couple rules. I have three kind of ideas around three ideas, three things that I push with my team. First one is you always communicate early. Everyone wants to, oh, we don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know what the problem is. No, no, no. You need to communicate early, even if you don't. You, it's, I've, I've apologized more for not communicating early yeah. than I have for communicating early and maybe not have had our finger exactly on the pulse of the problem. Um, And you also need to communicate about setting time expectations. And that's really important in my role here at Blackline. You know, we have customers that have um, closed periods that they need to get their work done. If we think that there's going to be something that could impact the timing of that, even if it's a few hours, we should try and come forward and say it. The engineering team never wants to have that conversation, but we need to come forward and set (laughs) some reasonable expectation. You know what I'm talking about. And then be available when it counts. We need our SaaS platform to be available for our customers when it counts the most. And this is a lot of the work that we've been doing with engineering. Of course, they want to make it available, but it's that finer grain understanding of what the customer has to go through when it's not that really helps them internalize it. So we work a lot on that, too. Those are the moments of truth. You know, as I listen to you, I think, and if I play that back, if you are, if you have experience implementing running technology right for for a business it creates incredible empathy when you are now a provider of technology and it, you know and i think in the perfect world you know every every engineer every product manager every person in professional services every csm at some point in their career would have worked on the other side of the equation right so they could really understand the angst the customers going through if there's problems like you said that's why hey we got to communicate even if we don't know everything we've got to you know set some time all the all that stuff you talked about is is born from the fact that you know what it means to be in their shoes and and all the anxiety that comes when there when there are problems so you know i think that's a, a great you know, sort of experience to, to have, you can really benefit from when you're on the other side of the equation. So you had technical roles, programming, actually running engineering as well. So how does, you know, those experiences shape the, the way you operate as a CCO? Yeah, I think just in the ways we were talking about walking in the shoes 
you know, of the customer, you know, walking into the shoe, walking in the shoes of the engineering team also helps my team and I be more effective with the engineering team. Look, they often have um, longer timeframes that they need. They need to plan what's going to go into the next release. They need to get all this organized well in advance of the next release so that they're successful with it. They often can't turn on a dime unless it's a customer issue, that kind of thing. And so our interaction with them and helping drive the product where we need it to be from a customer point of view, and of course they care, um, is part of that is understanding how they have to work and working with that and not fighting it. You don't want to fight with the engineering team. They don't want to fight with you either. Right. Um, but you know, get, understanding what they need to do to to deliver a successful product and how you, especially right now, we're putting in a lot of the customer requested um, features. We've done, a, we've done a much better job of interfacing with the engineering team on that. So how do we do it and how do we set that up? And it seems like it takes a long time. Well, it does take a long time to kind of get in those queues. Um, but to be honest, when I went back and looked at the process, for example, we weren't a good partner with engineering. Hmm. You know, we would have these long lists of things that needed to be in, and we thought we told them what they needed to be in. And they said, oh, yeah, we understand. And we just didn't see them come out the other side. But what we really needed was kind of an ongoing dialogue about what the priorities were. Mm -hmm. I had a person who was really expert in the product so that she could explain kind of what it means, because not everybody is expert in the whole product. Often product managers have a portion of the product. So when they could understand the impact... And then we also had the sales requests that we had to kind of normalize because the product team would say, great, but we're hearing from the sales team that we need these in for this next sale. We would try to rationalize that whole conversation for them so that we could get the most for our customers and for our prospects in the best way. And so that the product management team doesn't have to struggle to figure this out. There's only so many resources we're going to put on this anyway. Let's be sure they're on the best and most important things first. We've had a line around it. There's been work around it, but I'm really pleased with where it is now. It's taken months. It has. (laughs) Well, you you know, I I talked to so many service organizations that are frustrated by the lack of responsiveness from their from their product teams, right? And, and of course, as you just articulated, the service team is coming to the table saying, look, to better serve the customer, right? To deal with an adoption issue or a friction point or whatever, we need these things. And then services gets frustrated because they're like, why is that not in the queue? But what you just articulated, you know, product teams, you know, I, I always feel that there's three loud voices or three people outside the door. One is obviously services saying, hey, we got to fix some of this stuff to make it better. But then you obviously have salespeople knocking on the door going to get this deal or to keep this customer going. And then you, you have executives who cut in front of the queue and say, hey, I really think we need this. And so what, what you just articulated is, as a service organization, you have to understand that complete landscape and help rationalize help rationalize the priorities for the product team, be a good partner there. And, and you, you probably have a better chance of getting what you care about through the other side, if, if you've helped, you know, everybody, you know, we realize that there's a long queue here and let's prioritize for the best interest of the company, right? The sales, the services, the whole nine yards. And we have everyone behind us on it now. It, it took a little bit of work. And the other thing was those sales requests that come through because I have a product expert working with me on this, she knew if there was a workaround for it. She knew what else they could do, which if you just try to manage from a straight queue, you may not take the time to dig into it. 
So we take the time to dig into it. We keep the list. We only have 30 things on the list. Look, I could have 130 things on that list, right? I'm sure I have 130 things of, of customer requests that we've put in, but let's keep it short. Let's, let's focus on what's most important. Let's partner with the product management team. And then there's things that sometimes they can take advantage of. We're going to be in the code over here anyway. Do you have anything more that needs to be fixed in this area, Lisa? That kind of thing. We meet with them every two weeks. It's not just here's the list, throw it over the wall, we'll see you later. Yeah. It's an ongoing dialogue. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. I and mean, I think it's so important uh, to, for ultimately for customer success to have that good handshake there. The, um, the next question here is, is how do you manage this complexity that, that I've been watching, we've been watching that has, you know, has arisen from all these service motions that now exist within a typical SaaS company, right? Because you have education services, you have professional services, you have technical support, you have customer success, you might have some managed type offers as a, as a SaaS provider. So the, the, the portfolio has really proliferated, you know, over, over the past 10 years. So how do you kind of deal with that complexity as a CCO? Yeah. So every quarter, we have a quarterly review of our business. And I have each of my leaders present in detail their metrics, their opportunities, their challenges. And over time, that has become the place where we have the conversations about what in what impacts other groups. So someone will hear training is having a hard time finding a subject matter expert in a certain area. Or training may say, well, I think I have to get this training out before this training, whatever the topic may be. And someone else in the and the customer team will say, well, wait a minute, we're not, we don't even think we're going to be enabling the team to deliver that yet. I think you could reorder those priorities. Those kinds of conversations that make things easier are really only happen when everybody's in the room looking at what's going on and caring about the business of the, we call it the customer team, all of these groups at Blackline, and not just here's something for training or here's something for someone else. Yes, they, they're going to go over their metrics, but it's that conversation that ensues the other thing is I let anyone who wants to attend these meetings at Blackline attend them. Someone from product management, engineering, accounting, marketing, please join us. They're very open because they may want to learn or sometimes they just want a certain subset of groups that they want to hear their operational reviews. They're all welcome. This also turned into, since we only do it quarterly, people are saying, I want to hear, I want to hear more in the ensuing months. So we've started, um, a customer experience and operations review. It's a little different where we really dig into customer stories and what's going on. And we'll do those in the two months that intervene so that we're all getting, it's funny, we all get on the same page. Support understands the challenges that may be seen in other parts of the business or why they're seeing an uptick mm-hmm. um, in cases. Or um, someone may say, I don't know what that uptick in support cases are. Give me those accounts. Let me take a look at it. So they can share that. We share that across the team and we've just become better at executing for the company because it's difficult to it's difficult to instrument everybody unless you have the conversations. Yeah. So we want to have those conversations. Yeah, I mean, so I th- again, I hear this theme with you, you know, communication, 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 bringing people together, <laughs> making sure that everybody, you know, has a bigger picture. I think I think that's um, fantastic. You know, it's interesting as I've been watching these portfolios really explode talking to different member companies and i've said you know the question that you should be asking is before you throw out a new offer so you mentioned you know training training says oh i've got this new idea where you know we're going to spin up this new offer or you know ps has a new idea whoever it is 
you know, the, the question that I think companies have to ask is, is that going to make the customer's life easier or not, <laughs> right? Are we really creating offers that are reducing complexity, accelerating adoption? And have we thought that through? Because I think, as you know, you know, so for example, if I'm, you know, running education services and I'm worried about my business or my revenue or professional services, I could be genning up all kinds of different things because I think there's a, you know, a revenue opportunity. But every time I do that, I could be actually creating more complexity for the customer, not less. And I, I think that, like you say, you're doing these reviews on a certain cadence to, to click in and say, what is the actual customer experience with Blackline? Where are the friction points across the board? And how can we start to take down some of that, you know, some, whatever, you know, complexity or friction exists? Yeah. It's um, it's a lot of work. The The key thing is prioritizing what's most important. So I'll give you a simple example. We thought our trust site could provide a better, inter- it would be easier to understand. We don't, we didn't feel that our trust site was giving the customers a kind of view they needed to have into things that may happen. And so we worked with engineering on that. Now, is that is that going to make, is that doesn't necessarily make the product easier, but it does make, you know, you, the customer understanding the release cycle, when things are changing, maybe there was a blip in service for some reason. When will it, when will it be fixed? That kind of thing. So we'll go after those as we see them, you have to prioritize them. And then sometimes there's really big ones that you have to take in smaller chunks over time um, to make those better. I want to shift gears. I want to um, ask you, I'm asking more and more of the SaaS companies, uh, what is the role of partners? in selling uh, and or delivering Blackline solutions? Because, you know, we see this, you know, back in the day, traditional software companies, hardware companies always had big channel ecosystems. A lot of the SaaS companies were direct. You know, they weren't as concerned about that. But but we see more of the SaaS companies starting to say, hey, you know, I I, I am interested, right, in, 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 in a, you know, in a bigger role for partners, et cetera. So, so what's, what's uh, the role there at Blackline for partners? Well, partners play a big role. Um, at Blackline, and I'm involved in partner meetings. So a couple couple things. We want, when it comes to transformation, there are many times that partners are, at a cu- are working with a, a company that should be a customer of ours. We're the company that can bring the transformation, but there's more work to be done at that company site that the partner will take on, as you know this play, all of that consulting and bring in Blackline and help them transform. And we often see that the companies that do that well, are those customers are very happy and very well adopted. Yep. Really, they're a little bit better than my base. And it makes sense because if you have that kind of focus from a partner on a customer where they're providing much more consulting, all of that around other processes within the company, um, you'll get a better adoption. So we like that. And we try to learn a little bit from them on that. Likewise, I see all the customers and I can give them data about their customers because we've we've mined our data. We're a data-driven organization. I know what customers are using, what they're not using. We have above usage, we have strict measures around adoption and I'll call it automation adoption. When our customers take better advantage of automation around accounting, I know that they're going to stay with us. I measure, there's five points of those. I measure them. I know what they are. We loosely call it adoption, but not everyone has such a, such a high bar for that kind of term. I share that with the custom, with our partners so they know the adoption status of their customers because it means the same thing to them. Will they stay with them? 
Do they want to take on more? Are there more consulting opportunities? They can do an awful lot with that data. So I, I, I speak to the partners. I share with them like how we view our customers because they're our joint customers, how we view adoption, how we view engagement even. Engagement is how much of the platform do they own too? Not, you know, are they using what they own well and then can they buy more, right? So we want the partners to get the same benefit from that data. We share it with them and we we have a great partner network. So, you know, you are articulating some attributes here that we are big fans of when it comes to technology providers and how to effectively work with the channel or partner ecosystem. And so I'm just going to play some of those back. I mean, first of all, you know, you're talking about working with customers that are going through significant probably digital transformation. And that is a big switch, you know, fish to swallow. And so it's not just your technology solutions or even your technology and service capabilities. You need a partner that's going to be there day in and day out helping that customer get through that that transformation. And, and that's a that's a good marriage of resources there. And like you said, there's a lot of consulting, there's a lot of project-based work that you as you know, Blackline are like, hey, that's really not what we want to do, right? And so that's that's there's goodness there in, in that collaboration. But the other thing you articulated is really the home run. And, and, and I think uh, technology, not enough technology providers are doing this. The real home run is sharing the data and analytics that only you have. Because these consulting you know, service companies, they don't know <laughs> what good looks like for the, for the technology adoption. You do, <laughs> right? And so bringing those, in a sense, benchmarks to the table, helping, you know, you know, saying, hey, the customers weak here, you know, they could be stronger over there, you know, and then giving them that constant feedback loop as, the, you know, the customers maturing. I mean, that is a huge win-win. I mean, because it, it obviously it ingrained you more deeply with that partner, with that customer, but it helps your partner be more successful with that customer and it helps the customer be more successful on, on the journey. And, and so, I mean, we think that there's just huge upside there in terms of that type of data-driven analytics handshake that I think is still, unfortunately, too nascent in the industry. Yeah, no, we would agree with you. You know, it's it's funny. There is uh, sometimes partners cause a little tension at the company too. I'm, But you want... You want to embrace them. I want to embrace them. I want to bring them along with us. And they should get the best view of their customers that we can give them and our approach with that data and what we do with it. Um, so we're pleased with the results so far. And I'm, I think more companies will come around to it. Um, it's just a natural place to go. It is. And it's, you know, so t- tension, when I hear people say we have tension with our partners, you know, t- to me, it's some, often that is code for the fact that if the partner feels that your solution, your te- you know, technology could be easily swapped, there's going to be tension. Because if a partner's in there working with a customer saying, oh, gosh, I don't know, do I use Blackline, you use somebody else, it's all the same, who cares? There's going to be tension, right? But if you are embedded with, again, data and analytics value add, that partner is going to say, well, there, this isn't, you know, this isn't apples and apples. This is apples and oranges. I want to use Blackline because they are providing me better insights. They're helping me with the journey. And that really tamps down some of that tension that can, can exist. And again, I just think enough, not enough of the technology providers have really figured that playbook out to realize that that's one way to really solidify your position, you know, with the partners. So, yeah, it's an evolving, it's an evolving, uh, you know, handshake there. Um, it is. So we uh, have covered the role of partners. So, so the, I've had a lot of CROs on this uh, this podcast as well, and there is a CRO at Blackline. And and so, how would you, you know, compare the responsibilities of the CRO versus the CCO? What's that handshake look like? 
Um, you know, we're all part of the go-to-market team. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a subset um, at the C-level, uh, marketing, sales, and myself, um, and operations. So there's kind of four leaders that we all get together. And I have to say, uh, and I may have good communication skills, but I don't have any credit on this one. The CRO is a great communicator. <laughs> and he he wants to he wants to do the right thing for the customers. And so we work together in a cooperative way. Look, we have to, we support each other. So for example, a lot of my services bookings comes from sales. I need him to meet this services number. Of course, services revenue is revenue. He's the chief revenue officer. That's right. Um, But when it comes, we had to recently start to, I don't know if we'll talk about this, but come up with new offerings for our customers. We want to sell back into the base, things that are important to them, not just new customers, existing customers. He was really helpful in that and getting his team behind it um, and seeing that it was good for the company. So we can, we're able to go back and forth on these issues in a way that's really helpful and not, um, there's not a, there's not conflict. There may be a disagreement on, I'm not sure we should do it this way, but there's not conflict on we should work together and we should move the ball forward for everybody. If I bring issues to him, for example, maybe some something in regards to sales or some motion out in the field, he wants to hear about it. He wants to go and work on it. Yeah. Or he'll bring me into his podcast or his, his sales cast, what we call them here. Um, and we'll talk about the new offerings. Um, very inclusive. Very inclusive. Well, so if you, you know, you, you and I have been in tech for a while in a very traditional sort of tension that can exist in, in, let's say, a traditional software company is you have a head of sales who is typically very focused on product sales. And then you could have a head of services, whether it's professional services support or whatever, who's all, you know trying to make a service number, trying to service customers. And there often could be tension there, right? Because services will say, hey, sales has given us away. Sales doesn't care about us. And what you just described is what I think really is, you know, the ge- next generation and winning relationship, which is you have a CCO who says, look, I, I'm, I'm not sitting here just worried about, you know, particular service, you know, revenues or whatever. I'm worried about the overall customer experience. That's, that's you know, what you've articulated. And you have a CRO who says, look, I'm just not here trying to stick the landing on product sales. I care about all revenue. <laughs> I care about revenue from products, from services, from everything. And I'm trying to optimize that. And so I think that, that those two perspectives coming together creates a much more collaborative you know, relationships just right out of the gate because you just have a different lens on the world than traditional sales executives, traditional service executives. Would you, would, you, would you agree with that in terms of past experience to this? I think you're exactly right. No, I've been there. I've been in organizations where there's been tension oh, yeah. between them. That's very common. Um, but it's not the it's not the winning recipe. And you're right. I'll give you a, a, an example of some of this. A year ago, the services organization was not a little over a year ago in the shape that I wanted it in. We weren't um, the revenue that we were delivering. We weren't as accurate on our forecast. Um, there was what um, one of our board members would call revenue leakage, which I agree with. And we just decided to go plug all the revenue leakage points. And one of them was to really implement a deal desk. And as you know, a deal desk would affect um, what, how much sales could discount or if they could give it away. Yeah. He got right behind it. Oh, good. Yeah. Sierra got right behind it. He's like, absolutely. Yeah. We set it up so that there was some room to discount without going to the deal desk because they need sure. that. Yeah. Um, but the rest of it, and I'll tell you what, 
uh, my worked rate numbers, oh my gosh, everything just changed. And it's now this engine that's delivering for us in such a reliable way. And we're really thrilled. And especially, you know, in this, in this downturn, this market that we're in right now, it was really important to deliver on those numbers as solidly as we did. We even overachieved in them cases. So thrilled about that performance, but it was working with the CRO. Likewise, I wanted to come forward with a couple other services. And he's like, I like two of them, but those two, those other two, they won't work, Lisa. I don't think we're going to be as successful with them as you think. So let's try and focus our efforts on the two we think will. And it was that give and take, right? Because he knows the market too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, really helpful. You know, so for anybody listening who doesn't have a deal desk in place or, you know, maybe you're debating, hey, should we do that? Because there's always this tension of, hey, we're going to slow sales down or it's going to be too bureaucratic. I can tell you my personal experience, you know, 30 years in tech, what you're saying, that is a winning practice right there. I mean, and like you use the term revenue link leakage, whether it's because people are giving stuff away, whether they're just overly discounting. And when you hear this this story that, oh my gosh, it's, you know, it's just, just slows us down. It's too much overhead. Um, no, it, that is, a, I think, one of the best tactics to basically get consistency deal to deal and just stop unnecessary you know, discounting. So I, I'm just going to put a big plug in for deal desks, <laughs> winning tactic. <laughs> I completely agree with you. And you know what else it stopped? And Thomas, you may remember this, all those calls to my head of services saying, Hey, I've got a really big deal. It's, you know, the, we're almost strategic. ready to close the Str- quarter. Very strategic. We just need this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all strategic. And now she's like, uh, just take it to the deal desk. Yeah. Yeah. Let them figure it That's out. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Because you're right. That, I mean, I'm, boy, I'm glad you, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's a really important one because that is the first time I, in my career, implemented a, a deal desk. That was one of the benefits I didn't really realize. And then, you know, always tell other people that, that occurs is no longer does your service manager, directors, whoever's on the front line, they, they don't have to be the bad person anymore saying, hey, I can't give that away for free totally takes them out of it and it helps the sales and service relationships get better there because now you know so you're a services director talking to a sales director right and you're both you know hey i'd love to help you but that's out of my hands you know they got the policies there the deal desk will come back and they're the heavy and that's good that's good can you keep that working relationship you know whole so it's yeah that's another side benefit for sure and and i'll just go down the rabbit hole one more minute um it's also where are you making the best business decisions for the company? It could be that services does need to be discounted for something else that's benefiting the company in this deal, right? And you need someone, you need a group that can make that decision and not these one-off conversations. Um, That's not where you make the best business decisions. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. So we we have absolutely plugged deal desk big time here, which is good. I've never talked about it before on on this podcast, but that's a winning (laughs) tactic. So I want to I want to click into adoption because you know again as a CCO you're, you're trying to make sure that customers are successful that they're healthy and I understand that you created something called the Optimization Academy at Blackline so so explain the, what exactly is that sure that comes from our Chief Transformation Officer um, I need to give her a hundred percent of the credit uh, she came up with the idea. But we, we together worked and morphed it into where it is now. And it's really exciting. So I'm glad you're asking me about it. So there's traditional ways of measuring adoption, usage and adoption. And, and we talked about it earlier. And we have a pretty high standard for adoption. Mm-hmm. 
we also realized that there was more to do that these really smart accountants, and I think this applies to any company, these smart accountants that use our products are not optimization experts. They're not transformation experts. They may have gotten a taste of that in the sales motion or some other things. So they're like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to transform here. I want to optimize there. But once you're in with your platform, how do you carry the journey forward? Mm -hmm. So her name is Tammy came up with an approach to teach these nine accounting principles and the optimization associated with that. And oh, by the way, here's how you do it using Blackline. And it's not always a software solution. There's auditing and that kind of thing that goes on in accounting that needs to be understood as you optimize these processes. But sometimes people in accounting are in a department, they get data down from some other group and they push data out to some other group. They need to, the company is best when they're able to stand back and take a look at the entire ecosystem and decide, can I optimize what I'm getting? And can I optimize what I'm giving for the benefit of the company? And how do I do that? So we teach them that. We offer this this program four ways. It's almost, you can have it any way you want it. So it's easy to consume for busy accountants. We offer office hours with it. You can do it on your own or when you come out of the academy, And if you'd like us to do it, I now have a consulting group um, with the chief transformation officer that will just go in and do it. And these are small, often small consulting gigs, I don't know, 40 hours, whatever they need to help them get the next level of value from our product. We're finding this to be terrific. So again, it's teaching accountants how to become optimization experts, right? Right in the desk they sit in. So so let me try this on for size in terms of summarizing what I heard there. And and that is, if you think about most technology providers, they say, look, I I can help you be a power user on my platform. I'd really like to help you do that. So that's one value proposition to a user. But what you just said is, look, look, our users happen to be accountants and we're coming to our users who are accountants and saying, look, we want to help you be the best accountant possible. <laughs> that's what we want. That's our value proposition here. And oh, by the way, you know, you're going to be using our technology for so, you know many of those steps, maybe not all of them, but that's the lens you're putting on it. And that's a very different value proposition to the end user, right? It's not like, hey, okay, I'm going to be really super, super good, you know, with your software. You're saying I'm going to be the, you know, a better employee, a better pr- a professional. And, and I think that's a great lens and way more compelling to the end user. Yeah. We didn't think the business value to us would be so great. We knew we needed to do this. We knew that, and like most SaaS companies, it's a complex platform you're offering. How do you get better adoption? I talk to my peers about this all the time, but the renewal rates we see with customers that go through this really high, well above average, well above average, um, upsell, well above average, um, all of this, uh, we're ple- and adoption increase in adoption, of course, is an is a natural yeah. um, outcome of it. We're thrilled with the business impact. Well, it's a, it's a, what you just said there, right? An increase of the of, of adoption from you know from technical you know for features, etc., is a byproduct of it, which is a natural byproduct of it. But again, it's not the primary reason that you're doing this in the value proposition there. So I think if, you know, if more technology providers thought about that, right, the primary goal is making them the best professionals they can be, you know, and a byproduct of that will be because we believe obviously in our platform, a byproduct is they're going to be using our platform, you know, more successfully because that is going to help them be the best professionals they can be. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. It is a, that is a, that is an interesting and good approach there. So I want to 
sort of close here with you know the current environment that that we're in, and and you know several of the SaaS executives I've spoken to over the past couple of months on this uh, podcast, you know, acknowledge that uh, there are some definitely some economic headwinds. It's you know it's really the data is really noisy, right? Hard landing, soft landing, no recession. I mean, it's all over the board every day. I you know read the Wall Street Journal. It's a different different you know prediction here, um, but. But there's no doubt that customers are becoming more cautious with their IT spending because visibility is low. Um, we still have inflation putting pressure on you know all of our expenses, you know our employees, and everything else you know that goes into supporting our solutions. Um, and you know for our entire industry, we have these you know either flat or declining valuations. So everyone took a haircut here, and, and, and those aren't coming back you know overnight. So in this current environment. You know what tactics are are you employing that might be a little bit different just because of the of the current situation? Sure, sure. So we're tr- we're offering our customers more services that we believe will help them take better advantage of the platform. Yep. So, for example, and those are simple ones: admin as a service. I mean, it, it sounds it sounds so simple. Admin is kind of an important role. It helps you deploy more transformation into production, if you will, right? We had customers that in this market, especially last year, were losing their admins. Maybe they had a different assignment form. They left the company, leave of absence. It could be for any reason. We started to offer this as a service, not that expensive, to keep them on their journey. We found a great up to uptake in that. That was great. But you wanted both, right? You can't, I can't give free services away. That's not going to work either. But trying to find those ones that provide a lot of value at the right price that, that customers need to continue their journey. Um, so that's one. And I'm sorry, just to pause, pause, I'm curious, again, in the current economic environment, do you find or, or feel that because you're the technology provider that you can actually provide administrative capabilities more cost effectively than if they're trying to do it themselves because you, you, you know, the product is a one many model. What's your, what's your perspective on that? Um, often we can, mm-hmm. often we can, um, we know the product the best, so there's no issue there. Right. Um, but we want us. We want customers to have a strong capability um, as well in, in in the admin area. As a matter of fact, my training team, we we're just talking about this today, is going to come out with, a, we believe, two training classes a month on admin, how to be whether you're a beginner admin and intermediate admin to keep that practice strong at our customers. So we're trying to solve it a variety of ways. There's just not one way to solve it. Um, but if customers are without an admin for a period of time, that's not a healthy state to be in for very long. We want to help them out. Yep. Makes sense. Um, the other thing, um, we're going to double down more on our digital support offerings. Um, we reach out to our customers. Really, it's multiple times a quarter. Um, and it's we've had a great uptake on webinars and coffee breaks. We even send out a little email that says, did you know about this? Try it now. Mm-hmm. Just things our customers can take advantage of. We're going to we're going to take better advantage of that next year too. Um, we've talked about the academy, and then one one I'm really proud of lately is this training strategy. So we have customers um, that will come and consult with us. And training, it's not just do you know the product or your role, but it's does everybody at the company understand how to work together to get the best out of the platform. So training strategy often combines both um, our online training with live training. Mm-hmm. And the live training is customized. It's not very expensive. And we'll come in for six hours and we will help you. We'll help you go from departmental success to enterprise-wide success. Because these training classes often will have 25 or 30 people in them from a company. 
And we'll go over things that are maybe not working well at the company. Maybe the way you're reconciling your accounts is not standard using Blackland. It needs to be standard to get the best out of the product, that kind of thing. Um, we've had, we sold um, a $75,000 deal to a car manufacturer in Europe to deliver this. I mean, that's a huge deal around training. We really, we're seeing a great uptick in that too. So we're also um, pushing more of that with our customers, our sales team, even our BDR team understands the value in that for our customers. So we're trying to get that that word out because it often doesn't carry as well as you'd like. Yeah. Well, so I hear two themes there in, in some of the, the offerings you're putting on the table. So one around helping customers be successful in, in I'll, I'll call it just, you know, supporting and caring for for the platform and, and you're having more creative offers there because you want your customers to be able to, to be successful. And in, again, in the current economic environment, let's say that, you know, even if you lose an employee, they might be slow to rehire. I mean, there could be a lot of different things that are impacting the stability of their environment. And you're saying as the technology provider, we're going to be more creative in helping plug that those gaps. So that's interesting. And then the other one, you know, this whole thing around, you know, training, education offers, et cetera, is, you know, customers are, are going to want to get every bit of juice they can out of their technology environment right now, right? The investments they've already made, they're going to want to really say, look, how can you make me even more efficient? You know, I don't want to have to solve this by throwing more technology at it or more labor at it. How can you make me more efficient? And that's what I hear in those types of offers that you're putting on the table there is you're really helping them optimize what they what they currently have. So I think that's going to be a theme this year as well. So good. Perfect. Well, we covered a lot of ground there. And I really want to thank you for for coming in here and, and spending time with us. And, um, you know, before I close with the question of the day, uh, our producer, uh, Vanessa, has been telling me that I want to remind listeners here, if you're enjoying this podcast, please go out, give it a, a, a star rating out, out there and whatever, however you're listening, leave a comment that really helps us in terms of getting the, the word out here. We're really excited about how we've been able to grow this um, in really not even, I forget how many you know months we've been doing this, uh, Vanessa, but uh, it, it's been growing sort of organically here, but you could really help us out uh, and we can continue to keep the insights coming. And let me close with the question of the day. You can't cut your way to growth. What are your strategies to grow revenues when every instinct is simply to cut expenses? Cheers. Cheers.